This episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Club in Real Life, our live event in San Diego, March 12th through the 14th. Get your tickets now at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCCIRL. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 175 as we chat with copywriter Derek Hambrick about moving from full-time work to freelance, choosing his niche and what that did for his business, what he did to find his first clients and how he finds people to work with today, his experience in the copywriter underground, and what he's doing differently in 2020. Welcome, Derek. Hey, you guys. Thanks for having me over. Yeah, I feel like we have wanted to have this conversation with you for a while. Uh, We've been able to hang out with... Well, I was able to hang out with you in person not too long ago um, and chat with you then. But we really wanted to record this and find out more about you and your business and what you've done because it's worked well. So why don't we kick it off with your story? How did you end up as a copywriter? Yeah, so I always knew I wanted to work with words for a living, but didn't know exactly how. Um, long story really short, I found myself working at Delta Airlines, uh, not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. But I figured Delta was a big enough place that yeah, I'll probably find it there um, and get get paid as well along the way as I figured that out. I remember working on the uh, international concourse, writing a few articles for newsletters, that kind of thing. Nothing big. But um, one evening, the last flight pushed out to Santiago, Chile. That was done. Went back to the break room, working on an article. Looked at the clock, and an hour had gone by. And at that point, I realized, my God, I must really enjoy this. And that's when I realized, like, I've got to find some role, some place, some capacity for me to, like, to write for a living. So applied for a bunch of corpcom jobs, marketing roles, and that kind of thing. Nothing really panned out because it didn't have a, a degree is what it turned out to be. So um, so I got one. Uh, working full-time, went back to school. I got a, a communications uh, and rhetoric degree from my alma mater. Um, essentially, once I got that, I, I um, by that time, I had, had landed a corporate communications job. But figuring that I had my degree, I had some experience, I'll go ahead and, you know, make my own way in the world as a writer. So quit the job, um, jumped out of the eighth floor of corporate communications into the teacup of freelance. And this to, to paint the picture of it, this was back in 2008. So, you know, it was not the best time financially to start your own business. Um, and that turned out to be my biggest failure was trying to go out on my own way too early and really um, without any kind of plan. Went through our savings, racked up some debt. Wasn't good, uh, but some good lessons. So yeah, that's a positive of that. So what did I do? I um, decided to go in-house, um, get a full-time job, benefits, had a family at the time, still do. Um, but I had people depending on me as the main breadwinner. So um, for security and for to provide for them, and also get some more experience, I got a job at a... Uh, Big Four professional services firm as an editor. Um, great organization. Uh, got some more experience, but I was really 
I was really feeling that that writing itch, just wanted to to write versus edit and proofread and that kind of thing. So a few years after getting that role, I left the firm um, to a senior writing gig. And it was great, but it was very short-lived for a number of reasons on both sides of the, the conference room table. So after that point, what I did was go to a number of smaller agencies from, from gig to gig, essentially. Um, some really, you know, bigger names like, you know, Home Depot and whatnot, but also some local brands and businesses, Peachtree Bikes, Form Yoga in Atlanta. Um, I was, but I was just kind of piecing things together. Even had to deliver pizzas at one point to, to pay the bills, but decided to go back to the firm in a marketing writer capacity, which had me doing some internal, external kind of stuff. Again, building a lot of experience. Uh, while at the firm, though, could kick myself for doing this, but I took took another role, which was decidedly less writing, more project management, uh, communications in the broader sense, which was good. And it had its own lessons, but wasn't really writing. So a few years later, I left the firm again uh, and took a job as a quote unquote copywriter officially. Um, and it was great uh, for about a year until I got a call one day and said that they had eliminated my role. Um, so at that point, I, I decided to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to take my side hustle. I'm going to move this thing front and center. I, I I had known for a long time that at one point I was going to be my own boss, running my own company and, and writing for a living, kind of determining the terms um, rather than having them dictated to me. Um, this is my opportunity. There, there was a moment where I thought, well, maybe, okay, I, I, I really should go and stay in house with somebody uh, for that, again, for that security, right? Um, but honestly, that lasted for about 15 seconds. <laughs> and I said, you know what, universe, this is what I need to do. And so um, my business, Cantilever Creative, officially began and um, celebrated a year back in uh, November of 2019. So can we go back to that moment when you were laid off? You know, I we, we've talked with other people who have found copywriting after being laid off. And a few episodes ago, Karen and I talked about how I had to lay a bunch of people off and was laid off myself from a job like that. Like, tell us. What did that feel like? And was it a moment of panic or were you ready to go? Was it a moment of excitement? Uh, well, Rob, I guess it, it was like, it was a very, very short period. Um, minutes really of, of panic when I got that call. Like I said, I hadn't expected this, right? Kind of hit me out of the blue. Um, the work was good. It's just, they got rid of the role and you know, I'm a casualty of corporate America, but I was really excited you know, after I got over the anxiety, it's like, well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, Derek, you got this man. Because you have to understand, I mean, as soon as I'd started that job, and here's the really cool thing. Um, when, I, when, I, when I started that job, I had a commute and I wanted to use a commute to my advantage. So what turned out to be like an hour and a half every day, I listened to y'all. <laughs> Honest to God, the first week I started there, I was like, okay, well, let me let me see what kind of podcast I can tune into did a Google search copywriter club popped up uh, rest is history. So pretty much every day to and from work, I was listening to these great copywriters, you know, you know, Rye and Joel and everybody else just learning from them. I felt like I got like a masterclass in the car um, 
to and, and from this work, the work that I was where I was. Um, but to me, there there was an excitement because I had had basically a year of experience and education under my belt. I built this incredible network with uh, the Copywriter Club and the Underground. And honestly, I just, I felt ready. I felt prepared. I felt like, heck yeah, man, you can do this. But let's, let's, let's make this happen. So yeah, I, I, you know, there's a moment, 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 moment of panic. Um, but at the same time, there's this like lasting feeling of exhilaration. Like now's the time you can do it. Let's go. So obviously there was a pretty big difference between the first time that you went freelance and this time you've been a lot more successful this time. What have you done to find clients and to really get your business moving? Yeah. So how did I find clients to get my business moving? Um, I'd had, you know, I think like a lot of us, you know, I've, I've had a freelance side hustle going even while working the full-time jobs you know, whether it be like, you know, want, want a little extra pocket money or something to keep things creative. Uh, so I'd, I'd had that going along uh, all the while. And for me in, in business and life, really, it's in relationships are, are so vital, you know, finding those connections um, and really, you know, treating relationships preciously that applied to these freelance clients as well. Um, so when I found out that I, didn't have a job anymore. When I made the decision to to build Cantilever Creative and, and go on my own, I was able to really comfortably go to those people. Um, one of them is a, a major higher ed school in in Atlanta to that client and say, "Hey, Angela, look, this is what happened. Do you have any hours you can give me?" And she had my back, and she 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 gave me the hours. She gave me more than I'd expected. But because we'd had that relationship, she knew, you know, my, my aspirations, she knew the caliber of my work. And so she was able to not just, you know, provide the work for me, but also go to bat for me, um, introducing me to other people who may have a, other work opportunities as well. Beyond leveraging those relationships that you had already built, what else did you do that was really pivotal for you during those first few months where you were on your own and making it happen? I'd say like, well, of course there's, there's a bit of nervousness, you know, where you're, for me, at least it was like, let me just grab every hour that I can. Um, and thankfully the hours were there, but as far as what kept me, what kept me going, I'd say like, you know, I of course kept listening to, to y'all uh, got really involved with the, the underground because I had a lot more time in my hands, um, but really sought, sought to learn. You know, I, of course, I needed to do the work to bring the money in, but also felt I needed to really step up my game. So that meant, you know, studying on my own. If I ran into a tough question, I'd ask it on our Facebook group. Uh, if I had a cool experience, too, um, I shared it on our Facebook group. Because for me, like giving is a big part of this too. Let's talk more about that, the giving piece of it. Like what do you have any specific examples of giving and how that actually pays off and is a, a good strategy for business growth? Yeah. It's crazy because you really don't think of like altruism as like a factor of ROI, right? But uh um yeah, it, it, in my experience, so it, it really is. And um one 
one one example really comes to mind. Um, but by word of mouth, I just um, gotten gotten wind of someone who needed some collateral. Long story short, talk with them, connected again, started building the relationship, uh, made a proposal uh, for the work, and he in the end he said no. Let me down, gentle. You know, I really wanted to work with a guy. Uh, he had a really good thing going, building his business, but it didn't work out. You know, that's how it happens. Um, so at that point, I I decided not just to like to drop it, but I said, hey, look, it was good to get to know you. You've got a really cool business. Um, even though I can't help you out, um, I, I know a few other copywriters who who might be able to. And the reason I suggested that and, and you know presented that option to him was because it wasn't a good match budget wise, um, but still, like I I wanted to help the guy. Uh, so so I said I can do that for you if you'd like. If you want to meet for coffee again, you know we can do another jam session, talk strategy, no charge. And it was a for me it was this is this is just kind of how I am. It's like I, I want to help. I think that you know our world's a lot better when we do. Um, and it kind of folds back to my my modus operandi, which is work hard and be nice. So this is like the be nice part, even though I wasn't going to be able to work hard for that guy. So anyway, I made this offer, right? No attachment to it, but just going to put it out there. Uh, a little tidbit is that the, the proposal was right about $8,000 for all the collateral and the, the project. Within, I'm not sure if it was a day, but definitely within the week of me getting the no from him and giving him this other option, um, out of the blue, I had a friend of mine uh, present me with another lead, uh, which would turned out to um, to to be a proposal that the this potential client said that said yes to. Uh, the amazing thing for me is like the, the eight thousand dollars that I did not get through that lost proposal um, was pretty much the same amount that I got the yes to for the second proposal. So for me, you know, I don't know, maybe some people will say, that's coincidence, Derek, whatever. Um, but for me, if I take a step back and I look at it on the macro level, you know, it's it's like, did not get $8,000 here, still tried to help, and then you got $8,000 out of the blue. For me, it was, um, you call it demonstration, manifestation, whatever woo-woo term you want to use. It was, for me, it was, you know, a concrete experience that, hey, this this idea of giving uh, does work. So it blew me out, blew me out of the water when it happens, especially with the timing and the uh, amounts lining up like it did. But yeah, so that's, um, that's an experience. I don't think I'll ever forget. Yeah. I like that. Uh, you know, the universe tends to pay us back for the good things that we do. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about your habit of giving, maybe giving more than what's expected. We also just kind of talk about how you work with your clients. What's your process like? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, for me, it's, it's, for, it's important to like learn as much as I can about the client. Um, you know, they're going to come to us with a need, uh, you know, some, some goals in mind and so forth. But for me, it's all about education at the beginning. And like I said, developing that relationship and you know, the more, you know, the more, the better you can help them is what it boils down to. So like, you know, getting on the phone with them, meeting in person, if at all possible, um, just develop that relationship. But also then like, you know, really digging into whatever 
problem they're trying to solve or whatever goal they're trying to reach. Uh, the more you know, the better you can help. Um, but then it's a matter of like building trust too. So letting them know my processes, um, letting them know how I work uh, so that, you know, it'll, it'll contribute to that relationship. Let's dig into how you work with your clients as far as like painting the picture of what your business looks like. Are you working with some of your clients? And I know some of them are big brands too, long-term on more of a retainer model or how, how are you getting paid with most of your clients today? What does that look like? Yes. So as far as like the way I'm working with my clients, I'm fortunate to work with some rather big names, um, but also able to work with some, some smaller outfits as well. I don't have any retainers set up right now. It is something I'm looking into, um, some advantages to that. Uh, but my, my largest client right now has me working on an hourly basis. Um, it's just the way they do business. Uh, I would prefer to do a project rate or something like that. I think it works out for everybody uh, much more so than, than an hourly rate. One of my clients I'm talking to about doing a, a retainer, which I would certainly appreciate. So Derek, one of the things that I know that you did early on is you locked in on a niche and I'm curious first why you chose the niche that you did. And second, how has that helped focus your business or has it hurt your business in some way? Yeah, the idea of a niche was, um, I'm not sure I liked it at first, Rob, but uh, <laughs> it was y'all's advice. So, hey, I went with it. I trusted you. Um, but the, the niche I started out with was uh, higher education. And I, I jokingly, half jokingly say that the niche found me, right? Because um, one, of, one of my clients that I had been working with for a while on the side uh, was the, the university in Atlanta. And it was great. It was, it was fun work, good people to work with. But I, because I, was, I had, had developed that relationship with them um, and had a lot of momentum with them, uh, when I lost the full-time job, that was where it gravitated. And that's, where, that's a client I went to, and I said, hey, I need some help. And they helped me. Um, because I knew I had them in my corner, I thought, well, this would be – the natural next step, you know, the natural place to focus. So for me, I, I felt it really did help me. Um, I doubled down on it, uh, not just in terms of the hours that I spent with them, but also my efforts to learn more about the industry, um, jumping on LinkedIn, making connections, reading articles and that kind of thing about higher education and just trying to, you know, learn more and be more knowledgeable so I could, you know, I could, you know, make those connections and sound like I knew what I'm talking about. I was talking about, um, the reason that I hesitated, I think with, you know, really pouring myself into that niche was because I, there's that, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Right. It's like, if I say yes to this niche and like, say, I'm going to go, go all in, then you'd be saying no to other opportunities, which yeah, perhaps that's true, but um, I feel that it, having the niche really benefited me because I was able to, to focus my thoughts rather than you know, be completely scattered brain and just grab errors wherever I could from whomever I could. Um, 
I did say no to you know, a project or two so that I could focus on that one higher ed client. In addition to that, there's also the, the stuff in the periphery, right? There's the just the effort that you make that's not necessarily work, um, but it's the energy that you spend. And um, I think I benefited from keeping my focus that helped me grow my business, not just in terms of billable hours, but to think, you know, we talk about mindset in the copywriter club in the underground, right? It really helped me develop that, that business mindset of this is my business. This is where I need to keep my focus. And if I do that, then it's going to pay off in the end. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk more about mindset, but first, you know, for someone who's listening and is interested in higher education and possibly exploring that niche for their business, what would be some of your advice for that particular copywriter? And what should they be aware of? Maybe even pros and cons of working within the higher education niche? The thing that pops out the most, uh, first at least, is is the money aspect, which, you know, let's talk about it. Um, my experience is that like the higher ed doesn't always have the budgets to allow for like full-time staff, right? But Here's the cool thing. And the thing that's advantageous for us, they recognize good writing. And nine times out of 10, they're willing to spend money on that. Um, so that's that's something to be be aware of. What's, um, I guess what might be helpful is, a, is to share what, what's helped me. Um, like I talked about relationships, of course. Um, having the degrees that I have um, help. I've got the two bachelor degrees. And... I guess that the maybe the most most concrete thing that that would would help our people that are listening is just that you've got to have the chops, regardless of the degree, or not, or regardless of the relationships. You know, having having the chops and being able to to do the writing is core. So that means um, for a higher ed, being able to write to oftentimes a lot of different audiences, having that capacity to write to their their faculty, their staff. You know people who are very well educated. Um, but at the same time, then write to another audience, um, students, uh, write to the staff, write to the alumni. And as I think a lot of us know, it's like, it's a matter of knowing who your audience is and culturing your writing to that audience. Because for me, like my, my higher ed client, you know, th- they, they, they had several, several audiences to write to. And when I, I was able to, to get in and start writing for them, they realized, okay, this guy writes pretty decently um, for this audience. Let's switch him over here and see how he does. And is able to demonstrate writing, you know, to that particular audience. So I'd say um, being able uh, to, to, to match the messaging to the particular audience was really helpful. Um, I, I guess in that sense, it's not, different from any other industry, right? Or sector or, or business. It's, it's about being able to understand who you're talking to, you know, who they are, you know, what they're thinking, what they want, what they need, what they're fearing, and being able to, to write uh, to them, not at them. You, you've got, you know, academia by nature. It's been known for, it, it's, it is known for writing like academia, you know, lofty, highfalutin, as we say in the South, um, stuff that's not really relatable. And I suppose there's a place for that. But what I found is, interestingly enough, is like higher education is catching on. 
and, and grasping this fact that um, that kind of communication doesn't reach people. And if they've got, they've got goals and they've got aims and they've got, um, I don't know, anything that they need to do, they've got to have the, the writing that connects to people, that engages with people. Um, and if you're the, you're the kind of writer that can do that for several different audiences, you'll be well, well poised to, to jump into higher ed writing. And one of the things that strikes me about higher ed is that it's probably similar in a lot of ways to big corporate enterprise clients and finding the right person to pitch inside a big organization like that, finding the right person to pitch in higher ed feels like a big challenge. Is there something that you do in order to connect with the next client that you want to work with or to get referrals so that your business continues to grow? Or is it just a slog the entire time? A little bit of both, maybe. Um, the nice thing about the, the big four firm that I worked with was I, I got in their developer relationships and new people. So for me, I, I kind of had a leg up, Rob, that I could just, it wasn't so difficult for me to, to jump back in, uh, multiple times I have. And even now as a contractor, interestingly enough, I'm back working several engagements for that same firm. So, Hey kids, relationships matter. Um, that said, um, think that the thing that helped me out also beyond just um, having my name passed on, um, doing pretty decent work was um, an av- ability, which I think is my X factor. You know, we talk about our X factor, superpower, whatever um, the sweet spot. Uh, and for me, what, it, what mine is, is mixing that creativity with credibility, you know, the personal and the professional, the factual, the fun, that's my playground. And I, I love writing in that space. There's plenty of space for everybody. So y'all um, try it out, come to the playground, we'll have fun. But even in, uh, I don't want to use the word stodgy necessarily, but like um, professional services, if you say that, you know, accounting, insurance, audit, doesn't necessarily seem like the kind of place that once creative writing. But let me tell you, it, it is, you know, at least the firm that I'm working with and many others, pe- people are getting it. Like with academia, they're, they're getting it. You have to engage with your audiences. But then there's the challenge because you have um, you know, on one side, and this really goes for any established brand, right? Um, that's not, you know, fun by nature. Um, any established brand has that, that brand experience, um, credibility, you know, to use another word. So for, a firm, um, you've got that on one hand, but then you have the the, the need and the it's it's requisite to to connect with people on the other. So, for me, I say like developing your ability to to mesh the two, um, to 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 not go on you know swing too far to the credibility side of the spectrum. You know, bring yourself back over to the creative side too. find a nice balance and and the cool and for me the the fun thing is is figuring out where that is so that means asking a lot of questions um it's also developing the trust that they that they're that they'll listen to you when you present an idea you may get a marketing brief or a launching a new initiative um and they want to do x y and z in this way for this audience well, ha- having the wherewithal and the confidence to say, 
I understand what you're saying. How about if we look at it, you know, through this perspective, or have you thought about, you know, doing the messaging in this way? Because it, because at the end of the day, people are hiring, hiring us for our words. Um, but the words are serving a purpose. The words are helping them reach a goal, uh, or solve a problem. So if, for me, if, if I'm able to present to them that I've got the ability to, to think more broadly than just cranking out words, that's what they want. And the trust is built, the relationships is strengthened. And oftentimes I'm able to infuse a lot more, uh, personality, you know, creativity into the work I'm doing. So I have two questions about this. You know, one is first about how to sell that to them, everything you just shared, like that creativity matters, personality matters, um, fun matters. Are you attracting clients who already get that and uh, they're already sold on it? Or do you have to continue to educate them on why it matters? So that's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is just how do you actually do that for your clients? How do you figure out where they fall and their voice and brand falls on that spectrum? Because some will lean more towards credibility and then others might lean more towards creativity. So do you have a process for determining that through your own questions that you ask? Yeah. Um, so the, the first question here was, you know, do, do I find fun brands? Or do I? Well, are you selling? Like, how are you selling them on the power of creativity and fun, and that it's important not to just focus on the credibility and the facts? Or are they just coming to you because they already get that? So, what works for you? Yeah, a, a little bit of both. So, like, I've been fortunate to work with, um, like, some local brands of uh, Form Yoga and Peachtree Bikes. They are fun to begin with. It's a yoga studio. It's a local bike shop. And, you know, we just mesh. Uh, they're looking for something that's engaging. They're looking for something that's f- humorous. I mean, they, they've got personality to begin with. So me, it's, it's easy just to jump in there and like, and run with it, you know, that's great. But then on the flip side, you've got uh, other, you know, so let's say more reserved um, clients who, who, who do sometimes take some convincing. So like, as an example, um, was working on a, a newsletter and I, I basically inherited it, um, picked it up and ran with it for a while. Um, and what, I'm, what I mean by that is like, I, I got the newsletter. This is the way that they've always been doing it. This is the way of writing that they've always used. Um, and while I didn't, you know, jump in and try to change the format, I, I said, you know, I kind of echoed back, Oh, this is really cool. This is, this is an important topic. Okay. I can see why this is important. Um, I understand that it kind of echoed back what they knew about the, the, the channel, the, the newsletter. Um, but then in conversations, I, I said, well, what we might want to do is use, use the pronouns we, us, and our, instead of, you know, the third person, this impersonal thing and shared some experience of, of, you know, why that's a good thing, how it's able to further engage people, which is what you need to do if you want them to, to do anything, right? If you want to influence them to think in a different way, take a particular action, or just build awareness of something, got to engage them. You can't just inform them. And so you know, getting them to think about the words that we choose and getting them to, to approve that and to get really get behind it. 
little things like that tend to tend to help out as far as convincing them. I mean, sure, there's statistics out there. I'm, I'm, I don't know what they are, but um, uh, as far as engagement's concerned, I'm sure there's some studies out there that like look at the, um, you know, different types of writing and and can tell you like, yeah, people have more hang time on this page when it's written in a more engaging way versus an informative way. I don't know what they are. Um, so it, it takes, I'd say for me, what works um, to get a client to really, to, to, to buy in, if you will, um, into infusing personality, even humor into their brand is just to tell them, tell them why it, it really does have, revolve around engagement. And I think that we probably all could agree that consume, con, you know, brands are recognizing that we are in a more, you know, consumer centric business environment, arguably consumer experience driven environment. And so we have to write to that accordingly. Derek, um, we mentioned mindset earlier, and I'd like to dive into that. How has your mindset changed since, you know, the, the corporate job, you being laid off, starting your business, and as you've grown and become more comfortable and had some really productive months, what's the change been like and, and how have you dealt with that? Initially, when I, I started Cantilever Creative, I had to tell myself that, yes, this is no longer a side thing. This is what's bringing home the bacon. Um, this is what you have to, you know, you have to make a success. So for me, it was a matter of like taking it. I mean, I always took it seriously, Rob, but, you know, the side hustle is great. It's a side hustle. It's, you know, by nature, not front and center. Taking it front and center I had to really shift my mindset, like think like a business person, which underground and has been so good uh, in helping me um, develop that mindset. You know, so many things just to, to, to even just like process wise. I mean, I got an accountant now, y'all. I got a bookkeeper. I'm talking with a financial planner. The kind of things that, you know, grown up big boys and big girls do who own businesses. It's like I'm doing this. But it had it started with that mindset, right? That like this is no longer just a thing I do on the side. It's like this is my business. I got to take care of it. So I'd say that's the that's the biggest shift for me, mindset wise. The thing that I I do want to add, um, and we are dive back a little bit into the woo woo, is the idea of gratitude. Um, w- what I mean by that is like I'm my my take on things is like everything's good. Even if it sucks, there's a lesson there, right? That's, that's just me. Um, and I apply it to my business as well. Right. So the first time I tried to start a freelance business and failed miserably and kind of imploded, it sucked. I mean, it really did, but still tried to find the, the lesson in it still tried to be grateful for those really, really tough lessons um, and I think that contributed to my growth, right? On the same token, you know, I still try to be grateful for, for every little thing and, and express that too. Um, the reason this is important for me to, to share is because I, I see it time and time play out that even if it's doesn't, if gratitude doesn't like show an, you know, an ROI necessarily, um, like the experience I shared earlier, 
it puts you in a better place. And importantly, it puts others in a better place too. Somebody says thank you to me, you know, I feel good. You know, so I, I make it a point of expressing that gratitude to my clients, to, you know, to y'all, to, you know, other copywriters, to peers, to potential clients. I think that that has actually, you know, ha- having that attitude of gratitude, if you will, really informs my approach to my business um, and how I'm, how I'm building it. So I'd say that it's, it's no matter what, what kind of crap we're going through, there's, there's always something to be grateful for. And the, the ability to try to try to develop that no matter what really, uh, it helps if nothing else just to develop your gumption and your ability to endure and to, you know, get up after you're knocked down. That that's, that's just a good thing. Yeah, that's good advice. So you mentioned the underground and I'm curious if belonging to communities the second time that you had to, you know, go off and freelance has made a difference. What has your experience been uh, with the underground and maybe even other communities? Oh yeah, man. Um, the, the, the underground is fantastic. Um, I will, will be your poster child for the, for the underground as often as you want, because, uh, honestly it's, I, I went in there without any expectation. Right. Um, but it kind of like doubles back to the idea of mindset. I, I knew that when I was starting my business, I needed to shift my mindset and y'all were just actually, I think y'all had started the, the underground prior to my getting laid off. But I knew that if the next chap, my next chapter was, you know, doing my own thing, then I, I needed a community. Um, there's this idea of like finding your quorum, right? You know, like-minded peeps, if you're either you know, similarly driven or striving for something, um, people have different perspectives, but there's some shared commonality. Like for me, the underground was that, you know, we may be doing our different, uh, in, in our different areas of, of copywriting, but there's some, some shared space, right? So community was, was totally vital. Um, I'm not really like a member of uh, other uh, copywriting communities. I, I get what I need here and I, I prov- it's presents me with an opportunity to, to give as well. So like, you know, like I said earlier, got a tough question, you know, able to share it with a Facebook group and boom, you've got wisdom, you know, dropped on your, on your question. And I can grow through that so much quicker, so much quicker than like trying to figure it out on my own. And on the flip side, I'm able to like, you know, have a cool experience or, you know, have a neat perspective that helped a client. I can jump on uh, our Facebook group and say, Hey, y'all check it out. This, this happened. Uh, so it's, it's been really good. A lot of times we, as copywriters, right. It's, it's, it's like you're, you know, out on the range by yourself. But for me, having a community is being able to like, you know, ride your horse into town or have somebody on the trail with you um, to, to, to share the journey, um, the lows and the highs. And it's, I'd argue that like, you know, you know, at, we're human. We need this. You know, we need that connection. And I, I think, you know, think now more than ever, um, but particularly among copywriters uh, for me. I'm remote hundred percent of the time, uh, working at home or a coffee shop or, or a library or whatnot, but being able to like have that community, although it's virtual, um, means so much. And it, it really, you know, puts air in my water wings, <laughs> keeps me floating. And, but, you know, you have cool opportunities like a TCC IRL, 
coming up in San Diego. Um, just chatting with a few copywriters earlier about that and just like totally stoked to be able to meet these people in, in real life and, uh, and um, get to know them on a different level. It's awesome. The community, it's uh, totally, totally important for me. So just to dig in that, into that more, you know, there are other copywriters who join different communities or even jump from community to community or even course to course, membership to membership, not necessarily ours. And they don't get anything out of it, right? So then they look for the next shiny object. So what advice would you give to other copywriters? So the next community or membership they join, they can get the most out of it. Wow. Yeah. Um, I guess it's not dissimilar to like deciding on a niche and just, you know, doubling or tripling down. Um, it, it you, you get out what you put in. really. It's, it's an adage, but it's true. Um, so for me, I, with copywriter underground, I, I, I got in, um, made some posts, made an effort to really hear what people were saying and get into the conversation. And you know, it comes back to relationships, developing those relationships. If I were to have like joined on the, joined the underground and, you know, you know, had some fun with that shiny object for a while. And then on, on to the next, I wouldn't have realized all the benefit that it had offered, you know, I mean, just, there, there's so much that y'all provide, right. You know, don't need to tell y'all, but like, I mean, the underground is where it's at, man, you know, templates, videos, uh, that this community, which is dynamic and growing and, you know, evolving. It's, it's not like a book that's there. Or, or a course, you know, and you, you take the course and it's done. It's living and it's vibrant. So like as, as, as you change, or let's say as, as I change and grow in my business and my ability so forth, I, I know that I can take that to our community, to the underground and still get the same amount of benefit. And so, and, and it, that's, that's a cool thing about it is like, no matter where you are, you know, on your copywriter journey, just just starting out or like, Hey, I think I want to do this and I'm going to, you know, join in or whether you, you, you're, you're somebody who's got tremendous experience and don't have a lot of questions, but got a lot to share. It's a place for it. it. It's, it's where it's at. So it feels like, as I listen to you tell your story and talk about your clients, that it's been pretty smooth sailing since you launched this, uh, this round of your freelance career. Have you stumbled at all? Have you made any mistakes? Will you share any of those with us? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Um, Cause like in preparing for like our a conversation today, I was, you know, making some notes, looking back and just thinking it, it's been really, really good y'all. I mean, really good on like so many levels. I mean, however you term success, I'm very grateful that I, I can say that I think that I've, I've met with it this entire past year. Um, I've made just, you know, talk about money again. Um, I've, I've made more than I ever have. Um, I've been able to, you know, basically like delineate my time so that I can you know, spend time with the people that I love um, and dictate my terms. I, I do not work on the weekends. Um, so, so there's a lot of successes, right? There's a lot of, um, you know, thumbs up, uh, that kind of thing that, and, and you know, like firing all these 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 cylinders of 
a, a healthy, vibrant, growing business, a really happy business owner, me, um, and who's able to provide for the people he cares about, um, be part of the community, yada, yada, all these great things. As far as stumbles, there have not been, thankfully, not a lot. Um, working with, um, starting to work with a, a VA was a bit of a challenge. Um, I got a lot of benefit out of it, but there are some, some challenges along the way. Um, and it, it wasn't a matter of like, you know, not a lack of skill on their part, but for me, I think, um, making sure that I give them my expectations and have a clear understanding of that. Um, so that, and that was a completely new area for me. So I'd say that if you're thinking of doing employing a VA, um, and I guess this would go for any kind of like contractor, just really do your homework. Um, I did reach out to the underground, learn some things that helped me out, but I don't think I really tapped that resource as much as I could. So again, it's, it sounds like so much has gone well, and maybe you learned a lot of your hard lessons earlier in your career, and that's why it's been smoother the second time around. Uh, I'm just wondering what is next for you? And what, like, how do you see the growth of your business based on where you are now? What, what do you want it to look like? Well, it's, it's funny, Kira, because like when I started out, I, <laughs> I just wanted to pay the bills, man, you know, and thankfully, you know, did that. Um, and, you know, if, you know, we've, we've got in the underground, we've got this, this monthly amount of 10 K a month that we bandy about. And, you know, thankfully, um, that's, that's been my reality most months. And so, you know, grateful to succeed on that level, having that foundation, what's next for cantilever creative is I'd say, you know, more of the same. I mean, I do want to grow it. And like in our conversation we had last year, um, I I'm thinking about subcontractors. Okay. How would that look? what would that mean as far as me as a business owner, like managing people versus just managing my projects and clients. Right. So it's like a whole nother, um, whole nother way of thinking about the business. Um, so that's, what's next is like taking the business, uh, growing it to a comfortable level where I'm not stressed out. Cause I'm, cause I'm trying to grow the dang thing. Um, but to, to take it to the next level, um, bring some people into the cantilever fold, uh, you know, junior copywriters, um, project managers, perhaps maybe designers doing more, uh, collaborative projects. Um, and always, like I said earlier, like with a, with an intent to help, um, what's important for me is to work with people that, well, that necessarily look like me or have my experiences or circumstances, that kind of thing. So as I build the business, I'm really seeking to, to, to give in that way to say, Hey, you're, you know, you, a, a, a former coworker actually fell on some hard times. And although I didn't really need the help, I was able to connect with her and provide some hours and it don't get me wrong. It helped the business, but also helped her. So as, as, as I seek to grow cantilever, I'm trying to grow it in a way that's not just for the sake of growing. I mean, th- thankfully that, you know, the bills are paid. Um, not, not wanting for anything, not living ostentatiously, but I, I want to, I want to grow it with an idea of, of 
of, of helping. It's fun to see something thrive, right? Garden, your child, the business, and you want to give more to it. So I'd like to see, you know, how, how I can make that manifest in, in 2020. It's going to be a fun journey. Not sure exactly where we're going, but we're going there. Derek, it's been fun to follow along as you've gone through this journey since we, you know, were there when you were laid off or we, you know, you reached out and told us about it and have been able to watch that. And so this interview has been great just getting into the depths of your business and what you've done to succeed. If other people want to connect with you and maybe even, you know, have questions about your, your niche, what you've done this time to be more successful or just to reach out and, you know, have a coffee, whatever, where should they go? Yeah, you can uh, reach me at cantilevercreative.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram as well. So just uh, connect with me as best suits your purpose and love to connect. Always happy to help. All right. Thank you so much, Derek. Thanks, Derek. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.